Hello, and welcome to another edition of Eight More Miles, the Louisville Metro Council District 8 podcast. This is Councilman Brandon Cohn. We're recording on Tuesday, May 12th. Uh, it's about 1.15 in the afternoon. And my guest today is the founder of High Cotton Hospitality. It's the restaurant company that is behind um, a lot of local favorites, Barvetti, Feast, uh, Royals Hot Chicken, and uh, our founder is also a new District 8 resident. He's Ryan Rogers. Uh, Ryan, thanks for being on the show today. Brandon, thank you so much for having me. It's, uh, it's a real honor and a privilege uh, to not only be a new resident of District 8, but to be invited on your podcast. Well, um, you know, we have a monthly show. And last month, we talked to the executive director of Highlands Community Ministries, which is a social services agency here in the Highlands. And we were really talking about sort of the response that people are facing at the beginning of this coronavirus crisis. And that had a lot to do with individuals finding, you know, shelter, a roof over their heads and food to put in their mouths. And now here we are about a month later and focus has not entirely turned away from people, but there's been a, a, a closer focus on small businesses and particularly restaurants, um, among others, but restaurants and bars, which are so vital to not only the Highlands neighborhood, but the entire city of Louisville. And I thought that you would be a great guest because, uh, you know, not only are we buddies and you are accessible and willing to be on the show, uh, <laughs> the nature of your restaurants and your restaurant company is a little bit different than some others in town. And you've got a lot going on and you're kind of a young innovative entrepreneurial restaurant business anyway. So I thought you could maybe, you know, talk about some things from different angles. Um, but just sort of, you know, before we get into it and I start asking you questions, tell people a little bit about, about your business. How many restaurants are there? Where are, where are they in Jefferson County? And like, what are you guys doing right now in order to survive? Um, so we have currently, five restaurants. Uh, we have one restaurant that's called Bar Vetti that is um, currently, as of today, in the 800 building at 4th and York. Um, we had plans to move uh, to Market Street in the AC Hotel. Um, and uh, that is still the plan, but it's gotten a little slowed down with um, the coronavirus pandemic. Um, we are kind of still hoping to move into that space within the next 30 to 45 days. Um, we've had some, some issues on getting um, furniture and, and various things uh, to show up on time uh, because of factory shutdowns. Um, so that's uh, one of our restaurants. We have uh, Royal Hot Chicken, which started on Market Street as well. Um, and we have another location we just opened last, uh, last winter, last fall uh, in Jefferson Town uh, on Taylorsville Road. Um, also in Jefferson Town, we have uh, Feast Barbecue, um, which we had started originally in New Albany, Indiana, back in 2012. We opened a second location on Market Street uh, in 2014, that sounds right, and, um, and ended up selling our, our location in New Albany a few years ago. So five restaurants today. We have another Royal Hot Chicken under construction. Um, out on Shelbyville Road, close to Hurstbourne, on the way to Middletown, but I've been told by Middletown residents it's not technically Middletown. <laughs> um, so we we've been uh, we kind of had two restaurants under construction when this when this hit. One being the Barvetti move from the 800 building 
to Market Street and the other one being a third Royal Pot Chicken location. And um, this was obviously unexpected for us, uh, as well as um, so many other small businesses in our community. And uh, on March 16th, you know, in the morning, uh, Governor Bashir, rightfully so, said, hey, we're going to stop in traffic dining at all restaurants. We're going to close all the insides of both spaces. And we kind of had to make a, a very quick gut decision um, based on the information that we had at hand, which obviously was not very much information, um, which to us was the choice was to either kind of lay off all of your staff and close your doors and say, hopefully let's preserve cash and try to figure out how we reopen in the future with however that future looks like and how far away that is, we don't know. Or option B, which for us was let's quickly pivot into being a carry out only restaurant and try to figure out how we keep as many employees as possible on the payroll and try to manage uh, being hopefully one of the best carry out pickup restaurants in the city um, because we think it's important not only to continue to pay our employees, especially when there were so many unknowns about how unemployment was going to work, um, but also restaurants and bars are really the fabric, the, I like to say the, the string that ties the fabric of a community together. They are the thing that brings so many people um, from different walks of life into one space. Obviously, we can't have them all be inside of our restaurants currently, but it is important that we are still able to provide some sense of normalcy to uh, the residents of our community. Well, let me, before we sort of pivot to the business, I did want to talk about your employees a little bit um, because really, and it, you know, number one, I don't want to pry into your proprietary business practices too much and, you know, only talk about what you're comfortable in. And I might have my facts wrong, but you've been pretty innovative in terms of how you pay your employees. I think D haven't, don't you pay different than just the $2 an hour plus tips or, you know, I know that at Barvetti, for example, there's certain other um, pri yeah, there's so certain other costs built into the price that someone sees on their menu, and so that's meant to provide a better situation for your employees during regular times. So we have constantly. So my background prior to opening our first restaurant in 2012, when I was 25 years old, uh, I I worked in restaurants as an hourly employee before I became the head chef of a couple different restaurants. Um, so I, I kind of, to a degree, understand the pain point of what it's like to be an hourly employee and try to understand how we balance, um, you know, providing people some kind of potential living wage while also trying to make a business profitable at the end of the day on already a restaurant business that operates on pretty razor thin margins. So when we first opened um, Barvetti, we, we really tried to do a hospitality included model, which was a model that didn't allow tipping. Uh, that price was built into our, into our menu pricing so that we could pay everyone a higher wage across the board. Uh, as it turned out, um, for various reasons, partially because of the space and location and, and partially because of the consumer base, uh, it just didn't translate as well as we hoped it would. Um, and it's hard for a lot of consumers to justify what they perceive as a higher price point. And then they're also thinking, well, maybe I'm going to add a tip on top of this. 
Um, so we ended up actually changing that model after about a year and a half, and we moved more towards the traditional tipping model in that restaurant while trying to pay our back-of-the-house employees, which don't receive tips there, a higher wage, um, and also trying to cover more benefits within our restaurants than what you typically see. So we offer, you know, we cover 50% of the healthcare costs for any employee that elects to be on our healthcare uh, that works 30 more hours a week, uh, as well as uh, a myriad of other benefits within our organization, including wellness bucks, which is basically like $100 a year that you can use towards uh, multiple things like a gym membership that will reimburse you on discounts uh, at all of our restaurants when you're not working, free meals at the restaurants when you are working. So we've tried to be pretty innovative on trying to figure out how we can pay our employees a more livable wage uh, while also growing our business. And ultimately, at the end of the day, I have stakeholders in the business that I also have to um, make sure are seeing a return on their investment. Right. So, I mean, you know, it's, it's obviously complicated, uh, but I think sort of the core of my point was that this is something you've been committed to from the beginning. And so how Absolutely. have you been able to, you know, how, how have you been able to either take advantage or not of any of the relief that's been out there for restaurants and small businesses so far? You know, I, you know, maybe I've heard that the payroll program loans don't work very well for restaurants or, uh, can you sort of describe what you've been able to take advantage of in terms of any relief from the government? Because what I want to talk about shortly is what else the government, particularly the local government, can do for restaurants. Sure. I think it, it's, it's very complicated. Um, we weren't able to receive the PPP funding on the first round uh, that went out, uh, which is, is actually probably a blessing in disguise in that um, it was funded a second time and uh, we were able to receive funding the second time for that loan. Um, the problem with that loan is that we are given an eight week kind of runway to utilize those funds uh, with not necessarily clear guidance about how those funds turn into a grant versus how they remain as a loan. So if, if you're not rehiring to a certain threshold of previous full-time employees, um, then from what my understanding is, you may not be able to utilize all of those funds uh, in a capacity that would allow them to be forgiven. Uh, they, that, that loan from the government is also a two-year loan. So depending on how much money you've gotten from the government, it could hypothetically be a pretty steep repayment um, within those two years that you need to repay that loan back at. Um, obviously, we've been fortunate in that we received it a little bit later than the initial PPP loan. So that gave us an extra week or two of hopefully figuring out where it's all going. We honestly don't have any clarity, but we're hopeful that in seven-ish weeks from now, maybe we're looking more at a future that is reopening to the public and we can have all of our full-time employees back. Unfortunately, it doesn't necessarily make sense for us to say to our employees, hey, let's hire you back, any of our employees that left, uh, so that we can hit this full-time employment number. And then in seven weeks from now, if we're not 
reopen to the public and doing the amount of sales that we were doing previously, we would hypothetically have to go back to those employees and say, hey, I know that we hired you back seven or eight weeks ago, but uh, we, we can't afford to pay you on the payroll anymore because we're not reopened to the public doing the you know, full sales that we were doing prior to this pandemic. Right. And let me just interject, even assuming that, and I know that a lot of small business people out there are hoping that all these loans turn into grants and everybody's going to do their best to, to follow the employment guidance. I think only 25% of the loan is maxed out at expenses other than your direct have other fundamental to your operating rent, mortgage, other things like that. And uh, the way your revenue model works is that when you don't have access to all your space, for example, uh, or even limited amounts of your space, which I guess the governor is proposing to restore soon, you know, the PPP loan helps somewhat, but it doesn't really solve all of your revenue problems. Have you all been able to adapt and survive with the carryout and delivery business and uh, some of the other things that have been permitted, such as, you know, carry out alcohol or alcohol sales to allow you to, you know, at least survive to this point and sort of, you know, what is it, you know, how is that done for you to get you to where you are two months later? You know, I would say the first week that it hit March 16th, when the governor at 5 p.m. on Monday said, hey, we're closing all restaurant sales to takeout only. And we, we didn't have the alcohol sales and all the other things that have kind of changed over time. And we had to make a pretty quick pivot to going from a different kind of revenue model in a restaurant to a revenue model that was solely based on phone and online orders. Um, we saw an immediate 70% dip in sales. And we have clawed back, um, you know, two, three percentage points a week over these past seven, eight weeks to get to where we are now, which is about 50% of where we would be at this time last year. So um, we are at, if we look at March's kind of profit and loss statements, we lost a lot of money. Um, thankfully, we had a, a fairly profitable January, February. Um, how, so we how, kind of, how, how have you adapted? You know, I don't want to make you relive some uh, nightmarish P&Ls, but I mean, you know, has, is it just that the demand for the food is there and so people are calling for carry out and delivery and, and that does the trick or have you had to fundamentally change the way you, you operate or to offer new things to sort of, uh, you know, make more it's, sales? It's, it's really all of those things. So, and every restaurant is kind of restaurant specific. So if we look at a restaurant like Bar Betty, we didn't really do any takeout prior to this happening. So on Monday, the 16th, we closed that restaurant just entirely um, and said, okay, we're going we're gonna to close today and tomorrow we're going to reopen as an online only restaurant, online or over the phone. And we changed the menu almost entirely to focus on pizzas and other things that we could kind of put out of the uh, brick oven that we had in that restaurant. And then as the weeks have progressed there, we've kind of expanded that menu into other items so that, okay, if we, if we bring on fresh pastas onto the menu, let's, let's try to determine what kind of revenue that we can get to so we can hire an additional employee back and make it make sense at that restaurant. So we've tried to evolve that restaurant over time and say, okay, well, now that we have alcohol sales, 
let's try to put some wine up on the on the menu. And now that we have carry out cocktails, we'll we'll put cocktails up on the menu that we've pre-batched. So we've that's been an evolution at that restaurant. And then if we look at a restaurant like uh, Royal's Hot Chicken, um, within the first kind of weeks of us going into this, we said, okay, well, let's figure out how we can add add hours to this restaurant being open. You know, we traditionally are seeing the majority of our customers come in between, you know, 11.30 and 1 in the afternoon for lunch, and then there's kind of a dead period in between, and then really 40% of our sales happen between 5 p.m. and 7 p.m., and then we're basically dead by 8 p.m. So we looked at an opportunity to say, well, let's add a brunch component on Saturdays and Sundays at Royals that is from 9 a.m. until 11.30 a.m. So here's an additional, between Saturday and Sunday, five hours a week that we're open to the public that we, can, that we have to have staff for. So as long as we can generate some additional revenue on those days, we can afford to have in three or four employees or more on those hours and we can give more hours out to our employees and, it, and it's a you know kind of symbiotic relationship so we've done that with royals we've we've rolled out some kind of menu additions and changes there we, we just launched a a collaborative milkshake with please and thank you we're doing a please and thank you chocolate chip cookie milkshake at royals hot chicken on market street now that not only is beneficial for our restaurant when people come in and get it but it's beneficial for please and thank you when we're buying cookies from them to make this milkshake um, at Feast Barbecue, we we just started working on a brunch option there as well, doing breakfast tacos and burritos that we launched two Saturdays ago. I think this weekend we're going to do it on Saturday and Sunday, and then hopefully roll it out in Jefferson Town as well. Uh, and at that restaurant, we've also rolled out limited time offering options, like uh, we have a uh, smoked wings on Wednesday, only on Wednesday at Feast, but. Here's a day in the middle of the week for us that's typically a little bit slower, especially as we've moved into carry out only, that drums up a little more support for that restaurant on Wednesdays than they had previously been seeing prior to, uh, prior to us rolling out wings on Wednesday. So we have tried to look at a, how we make the best, most convenient, most seamless carry out, takeout situation for our customers possible optimizing our online ordering platform, um, really trying to send everybody to online ordering versus phone ordering, making the process hopefully as seamless as possible for consumers when they can just drive up, call us to let us know that they're there, or preferably they've told us on the online platform what kind of vehicle they're in so we can just be looking for them. Um, and we can just run out the, the, the bag to the car and they don't have to sign anything. They don't have to add a tip you know, physically with a pen. I don't need to take their credit card from them physically and run it. We've tried to make it as seamless as possible. And then we've tried to say, okay, well, hey, look, I know that you're stuck in your house and you're bored out of your mind. How do we make it a little more exciting or a little more interesting for you? You wake up on Saturday morning, maybe you want to go to Royal's Hot Chicken and pick up some donuts and fried chicken for your family. So we've tried to think about how do we make our restaurants as enjoyable as possible while providing some sense of hospitality and normalcy to our community, uh, obviously while we're all trying to be healthy at home and, and, and honestly bored out of our minds. To yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, what you're saying, again, man, you know, you're one of the most entrepreneurial guys in the local business and you're diversified. And I imagine that's helping you uh, in many different ways in terms of surviving. 
how I want to try to figure out how helpful or not some of the changes have been. Is is the alcohol to go a you know a life changer or like literally a lifeline in terms of making the numbers work, or has that just sort of been sort of a marginal benefit? And um, you know, the, the, it's it's something you want to see stay, I assume, but but is nothing that has really dramatically changed for you. I think uh, it's definitely something we want to see change, uh, stay, not change. We want to see something that we want to see stay. Uh, I, I think it's beneficial for all restaurants, even in the future, um, when we do kind of reopen to the public inside. Um, and, and it's been marginally beneficial for our business. You know, I was looking at um, sales on alcohol uh, on Sunday night, actually. Uh, and for the week, it's about six and a half percent of our total sales is carry out alcohol, which isn't very much. It's about, it's a little less than half of what we would normally do if we were open to the public. But we had all of this product, all of this inventory, I mean, tens of thousands of dollars sitting on our shelves that we couldn't liquidate or work through until this was a thing that we could do. So it's been really beneficial. We haven't had to go back to our distributors as much as they may not like that and buy more product from them, we've been able to continuously kind of liquidate the product we've had, which if we're flowing through, you know, a few extra thousand dollars of alcohol at the end, uh, every week, that is just going straight to, you know, the restaurant bottom line, um, as opposed to us having to, you know, typically look at some percentage of that going towards alcohol costs. We will have to probably rebuy at some point in the future, which would be uh, very expensive, but that'll be good for the distributor too. At, at this point, that sort of leeway with alcohol sales is all that the government has sort of done special outside in terms of cutting red tape though, right? Am I missing anything that they've done so far, state or local? Um, I believe that the mayor of Jefferson Town yesterday announced that he would be allowing restaurants to utilize their parking lots for outdoor dining. Um, but I, I kind of heard that secondhand, and I haven't gotten confirmation on that yet. Yeah, I saw a news story about that. And, and the reason I'm sort of asking that is today at 3.30, and so by the time people have heard this, it will have been maybe yesterday in the news, uh, Louisville Metro government is starting to see what they can do in terms of trying to cut some of the red tape for restaurants. Um, you know, I only know some of the details because I've been involved in trying to expedite them. Um, and I'm hopeful that as time goes on, local government will be able to find more ways for restaurants to cut costs or to have fees and that kind of a thing waived and to give you some more leniency. I don't have all the details. I know that a lot of it revolves around, you know, things that we can control. Uh, if you want to go ahead and expand seating onto the sidewalk or into the public right of way, they will be waiving the fee for that. I think you still have to fill out an application. You have to make sure that you have insurance and that the sidewalks are accessible to people who, whose mobility is challenged, but that's something they're going to do. That Whereas typically you might need a conditional use permit for outdoor alcohol sales. They want to make that easier so that people can you know, do what you do in a reasonable space. And I know they're also working towards um, figuring out ways to open up perhaps lanes of the street or other kinds of public spaces for increased seating. Um, sure. I know most important is that they're going to be making 
some kind of online or public forum so that restaurateurs like yourselves and others can say, well, here's what we really need you to do. Can you do this? Can you do that? Can you do this? And I'm sure that the requests will range from, hey, can we not pay any property taxes this year all the way down to, you know, can we defer payment on our ABC licenses? Um, and I'm hopeful that local government will listen and consider to all those things that you and others suggest because, you know, obviously I share your belief in the importance of restaurants and bars and venues and that sort of thing in terms of our community. So hopefully there will be some more relief coming soon. Um, as I've gone and carried out from other restaurants, I've sort of informally asked people what else they could benefit from. And I heard one person say, well, it'd be great with all this carryout if we could have some reserved parking spots in front of our door so that those spots are for our carryout customers. Do you have any things off sort of the top of your head that you just know that if we could change tomorrow would be really beneficial for you? I mean, if you don't, that's fine, but. Uh, you know, I saw that Cincinnati was shutting down some, some major restaurant corridors, the streets, uh, some of the major restaurant corridors in their city uh, to support those restaurants and allow them to have outdoor dining in front of, uh, in front of their businesses on the street. And obviously, you know, we have some pretty major restaurant corridors uh, here in, in downtown Louisville, be it um, Bartown Road, obviously, or Frankfurt Avenue, uh, Market Street. Um, but I think it's also important that we look at what other neighborhoods, and, you know, these are the neighborhoods that I'm familiar with because this is where I live. But obviously, there's other neighborhoods within our city where we should try to see if those same considerations can be put in place. Um, uh, it's from really a safety about, perspective, I, I have some concerns about gathering potentially hundreds of people in the streets of Barstown Road or Market Street or Frankfurt Avenue and, and how that looks for social distancing. I mean, we are ultimately relying on people uh, to use their best, um, their best decision-making skills. Um, which is why we're not opening our restaurant to 33% capacity. Um, oh, you're choosing uh, not, you're choosing not to for the time being. We, we're choosing not to. It's, it, a, it doesn't make financial sense for us to do it. Uh, it, it. B, it's not safe for our employees who are concerned for their health and safety. Um, and C, it's not safe for our guests. You know, I can't have guests at table A who don't know where guests at table C have been and table C might be infected and asymptomatic and they don't know it and air circulating within that building, even if they're six feet apart, could potentially get them sick. And we don't want that to happen to our guests or our staff or anyone. I, I'm obviously not a scientist, but assuming that the outdoor seating and the being, you know, when you're in, in an enclosed environment, like a restaurant inside with the circulating air and all that kind of stuff, I understand how that is more dangerous. Are you more interested in outdoor seating, whether it's on your own property that you own or lease or whether it's in the public right away? Is that something where you feel like the risk to your employees and guests is less and that you could benefit from that space? I definitely feel that the outdoor seating is a lot safer for guests than an enclosed space. And that's, and that's what I've seen from CDC guidelines on, on outdoor spaces versus enclosed spaces is that, that, Fresh air moving around is, is a lot better than recirculating air. Um, um, but at the end of the day, you know, if you choose to dine out 
uh, outside or inside or wherever it is, you're not going to be wearing a mask. Let's just be realistic about it. You right. have to have a mask off to be drinking and eating. So it is more unsafe than someone taking food from a restaurant and taking it to their house or a public park away from other people or, or somewhere else and, and eating it in that safer environment. Gotcha. And you're saying this, I mean, number one, I think it's a real testament that you are someone who's obviously economic security depends on this is thinking and considering your stakeholders health so much. Uh, I think that's, that's important. And I think says a lot about you, especially considering the fact that you have on market street sort of a little cluster of restaurants where, you know, if they decided to shut down the street, you might may be in as better position to sort of have some economies of scale and than almost anybody else. I know that uh, the Barvetti on market street's not open yet, but let's just say they've thrown all the red tape out the window and you can do whatever you want for that restaurant down there too. Um, I guess you're sort of, I guess what you're saying is it's going to be a wait and see on any of this kind of creating space. Uh, and there's still a lot of considerations that go into it. It's certainly not a cure-all. It, it's certainly not. At the end of the day, we have to protect our staff and our patrons. I mean, everybody, none of our employees signed up to be an essential worker. So, you know, I, we have tried to put every safeguard in place to say, we're not going to force you to have to interact with with guests. No one is going to make you have to be within six feet of them. No one is. So we've tried to make everything as seamless and as contactless as possible. We don't take any more in-person orders. We don't take credit cards in person. We don't take cash in person, which is its own problematic situation. We, We... you know, we'll deliver food to the back of someone's vehicle, but, you know, we try to stay six feet away from that. Uh, and if we were to open for outdoor dining, we would probably put somebody's food on a table outside and let them pick it up from us without us actually handing it to them or delivering it on a table. At the end of the day, um, we can't put a price on people's health and safety. And, and also you can't, you, you don't know how much, speaking from a you know, business perspective, you don't know how much brand destruction you could do if an outbreak happened to occur at your business and Mm -hmm. it's traced back to your business because you allowed 50 people to gather outside of your business in a, you know, outdoor dining environment. Right. A from a personal perspective, from a human being perspective, we don't want anybody getting sick at our restaurant. But from a business perspective, that's also really, really potentially very damaging. I, I, I assume that you will continue to innovate and adapt and figure out new revenue sources. And, you know, anyone that's listened to the news or read about restaurants, you're, you're hearing people that are doing all sorts of different things from meal kits to setting up bodegas in their storefronts to, you know, doing whatever they can do to earn revenue. Um, I've heard restaurant, some- restaurant people are the scrappiest, you know, some of the scrappiest entrepreneurs out there. They, they have all made a probably terrible decision to get into a really <laughs> hard business with an extremely bad business model. And they're all fighting for their lives and for their businesses. And, and they are going to adapt and innovate. And I spend a lot of time every day listening to podcasts 
about what people are doing elsewhere throughout the country and, and saying, oh, well, this is a really good idea, or maybe that, that does or doesn't work for us, and should we employ or deploy something uh, similar to in our restaurant? Because at the are end you, of the day, there, we want to make sure our employees are still getting paid. Is there a local forum where you're sort of sharing some of these best practices with each other as an industry? I mean, obviously you're competing in some respects, but I know it's a tight-knit industry, a lot of friends. Is there some industry group or just an informal way where you all are able to say, hey, here's what's working for us? And, you know, I, I know the community response, you know, one of the first things that I can recall happening is a community response maybe it was two months ago when people were really starting to figure out this was a problem was, um, you know, let's have an organized effort to buy gift cards from restaurants and bank them for the future. Let's have, there was an immediate response from consumers who wanted to do their part. And I assume that was something that had maybe a small temporary benefit at the beginning. Probably people have, you know, gone away from that as their normal consumption patterns have resumed. Um, yeah, I think when people thought it was going to be two weeks, they went, great, we'll buy gift cards from everybody. And then in two weeks, we'll use these gift cards and everything's going to be fine. And, you know, as it's, as it's drug out, obviously, uh, that, that financial model isn't sustainable for, for the patrons. I, I can't expect them to be buying gift cards that they're not redeeming uh, right. in perpetuity. So we, uh, you know, it was a very informal network um, between a lot of uh, restaurant owners and chefs within the city. Uh, initially about what what everyone's doing and I know that I was personally just getting inundated with with messages from people especially in the first couple of weeks where we were you know 70% down in sales and we were trying to figure out how to be right this ship and make sure we're not underwater um, but in the past couple of weeks as this has become more normal for um, for all of these business owners and chefs and restaurant employees um, we've kind of transitioned into uh, trying to figure out what's going to be the best uh, solution for everyone. And I, I think, you know, obviously there are other barbecue restaurants in town and there's other fried chicken restaurants, other Italian restaurants, but we're all in this struggle together as small business owners, as all independent restaurateurs. You know, to me, all of these small businesses matter and all of them, you know, serve a purpose within their community. So uh, in the past, I guess maybe past two weeks, um, Ed Lee, who's done a, just a fantastic job with um, Lindsay Ofsasic of the Lee Initiative, um, set up a, a, a little Facebook private group uh, just for kind of restaurant owners, GMs, and chefs, separate from, there's a, there's a Louisville industry page uh, full of hourly workers, but this was a, a private group just to have a discussion about what people are doing within their own restaurants what's working for them and what's not working for them. We, we developed um, last week when uh, Governor Bashir announced that um, they were going to allow unlimited outdoor dining and 33% indoor dining. We developed a plan for our staff within 24 hours just to disseminate information to them and to assuage fears that we weren't going to be opening inside. We developed an, an outdoor dining plan that was completely contactless um, and once we had disseminated that to our team, I went on that page and said, hey, I just wanted you all to know we've spent a bunch of time on this. Here's what we're going to do. And here's the entire plan and use it as you see fit. If it works for you, great. If it doesn't work for you, I totally understand. But I think there is a, a sense of sharing within the community that it's, uh, it's pretty bad for everybody. Um, we've been pretty fortunate in that we 
fiscally we're being fairly responsible despite having two restaurants under construction um, going into this. So we had some, we had some cash on hand that we could sustain this a little bit. Um, obviously it stretched on a lot longer than we had hoped. And I think everybody has hoped for, but all of these restaurants are struggling right now. And it's, and um, we can go back to, to, you know, competing against, against each other in barbecue or fried chicken or whatever we're doing, you know, in the future when we're all in a level playing field or, or, or at least a playing field where we can all make money. Hopefully. Yeah. Do you feel again, you know, like I said, this afternoon, you'll see the beginning of some effort from the local government, which is obviously limited in what it can do for businesses. We can't print money. We can't do some of the other, we don't control some of the other laws that the state does, but it's at least the beginning of an, an earnest effort to try to do something and to solicit feedback. Do you feel like you and your group, you know, other than calling or texting your friend who's a council person or someone that you know, do you feel like there's all a direct line into local government from the mayor's office down that when you have a proposal, here are the things we need that it'll be able to, you'll be able to, the industry will be able to get that kind of pro progress and feedback in a sort of timely fashion, or is that something we need to build? Uh, I think that's something that we need to build and we need to have a better kind of line of communication on. I had somebody from Louisville forward uh, reach out to me maybe the second week of the pandemic happening and said, Hey, I just want to check in and say everything was okay. You know, that's fine. I, I, I get that. I appreciate that. Um, but, you know, I've gotten a bunch of, hey, fill out this survey and tell us, you know, what your experience is like. But I don't have time to go fill out, you know, a survey. We're on the, you know, you know, we're working really hard, really diligently to, you know, keep our businesses running and, and functioning. I'm not going to go fill out a survey that's going to get, you know, compounded with, you know, a hundred other surveys. It's sure. not really a, a good utilization of my time. Um, I, I would say other than somebody from Louisville Ford reaching out to me and, and you um, reaching out to me, you know, for having a, a restaurant group that has five local independent restaurants, um, which makes us one of the larger independent restaurant groups in the city, we haven't had anyone else reach out to us um, and genuinely ask how they could help. Well, again, again, and you know. But, but that being said, you know, I get it. We, we're, we're a restaurant group. There are a myriad of other organizations within our community, other small businesses that are also all hurting. So I, I, don't, I don't take any offense at it. Yeah, and I don't, and I'm not making excuses for anybody either. But again, I'm hopeful that you know whatever happens today and over the next several weeks is the beginning of that. Obviously, May 22nd, that's 10 days from now, is the day that the governor has allowed this limited capacity restaurants. Do you assume that? that you're the minority and that most people, because they're just struggling so desperately, uh, maybe places that are less diversified than you, maybe that have one location, maybe that are an older business model, they're going to jump on that because they have to, or they feel that they have to, and that that's going to carry on set of consequences. That's the really scary thing that, you know, a lot of people are really backed up against a wall and I, I'm certainly not going to blame them for doing whatever they feel is necessary um, to keep their businesses afloat. There are obviously a lot of small business owners out there that have, you know, their houses are, are mortgaged, you know, and, and all of their entire lives are on the line with these businesses. And, you know, this is not something that any of us deserved or asked for. 
So I, I certainly can't blame them if they do that, if they make that decision. Uh, I think they're going to have some employees who are not going to be very happy being subjected um, to uh, dining rooms at 33% capacity, but that, that is ultimately the reality. A lot of restaurateurs that I've spoken with have no intentions of opening their dining rooms um, anytime soon um, until we have more information about uh, testing and, and hopefully antibody testing and, and vaccines in the works. And I'm actually going to go get uh, tested for antibodies today. So hopefully um, I'll get some maybe positive news. We'll see. Well, um, you know, I've just, I've really, you know, again, I really admire, you know, not just what you've been able to accomplish with your business, but your really your response, everything you said here today, everything I've read and heard you say in the newspaper. Um, I just think it's so really selfless and responsible and um, innovative and forward thinking. And, you know, I want to make sure that, that, um, that, that, um, that line of communication exists between you and people like you and local government, and then trickling on up so that we can try to be as responsive as possible. Um, in the meantime, as we sort of wrap up here, um, is there anything that listeners can do, just regular people, not elected officials and government officials, people who want to support you, the same people that are trying to eat out as much as their income allows, despite their own economic hardships and people that can, uh, that are, you know, what else can, what else can people do? And do you have anything else you want to say to your customers and people in the community? And can I say to the city too? I'm, I'm just, sure. uh, I'm waiting, I'm waiting on my TIF funding to come through. Um, TIF. Yeah, tax increment financing district. Around each no. local restaurant in town. Well, exactly. I think that's the thing that makes our community unique and, and exciting. And, and no offense to any of these hotel projects that have happened in Louisville over the past 10 years, but, but they're not necessarily making our city any different or unique than any other city in America. What makes our city great is that we have all of these great small local businesses that put out great food, that we have these great local bars, that we have these great small boutiques that are clothing boutiques or art boutiques. We have this great park system. We have this access to the riverfront. We have all of these things that we need to be pushing and celebrating because we have a real opportunity in Louisville, especially coming out of this pandemic, for a brain gain, where cities like New York and San Francisco and LA are going to see a brain drain. We're going to see people moving out of those highly dense populated areas and choosing to be closer to their relatives and to their, their parents and family members. So we have a real opportunity to bring in people from around the country who have moved away from Louisville. We can bring them back as long as we're promoting how cool and how awesome our city is. And the way that we do that is promoting the things that we already have here instead of giving money to big out-of-town corporations to build uh, a big hotel or a big apartment building or whatever it is. I think that's... I Super important. I hear you. And regarding uh, our everyday customer, I think first, first and foremost, we have to say thank you. Um, I know it hasn't been easy on anyone uh, that has been our normal customer. And we really, not just my restaurant, but every restaurant out there, if I can speak for them, really appreciate the support that we have seen from everyone and the patience that we have seen from everyone. We know it's gotten more challenging every week stretched on and, it, and it's, you know, we thought it was going to be two weeks and then we thought it was a month and then it was six weeks. And now, you know, we're approaching, you know, eight weeks now of, 
of people uh, being selfless and looking out for one another and, and supporting small businesses. And that's really, really awesome. And we really appreciate that. And we appreciate everyone's patience. Um, it's been a learning curve for not only our restaurants, but a lot of restaurants on how we do curbside and, and takeout and, and delivery better than we ever knew how to do it. And that's figuring out a lot of things. There's, there's logistics, there's, there's packaging that we have to figure out. There's the communication that has to occur. Um, it's, it's basically running a whole different dining scenario than what we were previously doing. Um, the one thing that I, I would ask if I could ask is that uh, people continue to be patient whenever possible. Uh, restaurants aren't going to be perfect in this scenario. They're, I think they're getting better every day and every week um, figuring this out. But, you know, a, a lot of restaurants don't haven't figured out how to do online ordering yet or they haven't figured out how to put a new updated menu on their website. These aren't things that as a restaurant owner, you necessarily signed up to learn how to do, which was figure out how to update your webpage or how to run online ordering. So it's, it's been a growing pain for a lot of small restaurants. And, and it's important that we continue to support those, those restaurants. Um, also, if you have restaurants that you haven't been going to and you're just thinking to yourself, well, I can't wait to go back to them once they reopen to the public, if they're open now and they're doing curbside or, or takeout or even delivery, it's important to support them now so that they can exist in the future. I know that a lot of restaurants in this town have such amazing ambiance. And, and that's one of the reasons that we love some of these restaurants, be it Jack Fry's or, you know, Pat Steakhouse or wherever it is that you, that you really enjoy. But you think of that restaurant as a dine-in restaurant. Well, it's important that we continue to support those restaurants now so that they do exist in the future so that we can go and have that dining experience in the future. Because if we're not supporting them now and we're only supporting restaurants that we perceive as, as you know, takeout restaurants as, you know, fried chicken or hamburgers or barbecue, um, th those restaurants may not exist in the future. And, and that's really scary. Also, one other thing, if you have the ability to order carry out from a restaurant, that's awesome. We really appreciate that. If you have the ability to do it on the weekdays as opposed to the weekends, that would be really great. Um, if you have the ability to, to do it outside of the hours of 5 p.m. to 7 p.m., that would be really great. I know our restaurants, we do 40% of the revenue that we do in an entire day between the hours of 5 p.m. and 7 p.m. So if you can pick up dinner at 4 p.m. or you can pick up dinner at 8 p.m., that really helps ease the burden on those employees who are there busting their chops, trying to get everybody's order out as correctly and as efficiently and as quickly as possible. If we can spread that kind of pain point out, it's really, really helpful for those employees. And if you can say, hey, you know what, instead of us you know, cooking on Wednesday this week, let's go get takeout from this restaurant that we enjoy and maybe we'll cook on Friday night or Saturday night instead. You're not going anywhere. You're not going anywhere, you got time, whatever. You know, we, we really appreciate that. I, spreading out that, that pain point that is the majority of our customers are dining out on Friday and Saturday from five to seven. And we know it's a treat. We know it's the weekend. We know that you've had a long week as well. We totally get it. But any ability that you have, if you have that ability to spread that out earlier in the day, later in the day, or another day of the week is really helpful for those restaurants. And it's, it's going to ultimately allow you to have probably a better experience 
where you don't have to wait as long for your food, where that restaurant probably isn't going to forget something in your order because they're moving a little too fast. So those are, those are, those are, I mean, I hate to stop you only because we're running out of time, but those are really actually helpful tips and things that most people wouldn't think of. Um, you know, as we get ready to sign off, I was going to say that, you know, um, I, you know, I love restaurants, love local restaurants. And I worry a little bit. I, I, we're so fortunate that we're in the, this is all happening right now during the spring and we're, the calendar sort of works where the weather's good. And I'm kind of worried about a second wave and how's carryout going to work in December and, or January. And, um, but instead of worrying, and I know that things are going to get tougher for a lot of people, I really do feel hopeful after talking to you because, um, I'm glad to know that you're out there. And I think that with enough people working together and planning now and uh, ironically some, you know, reverse mentoring, I'm sure Pet Steakhouse would love to hear from you, you know, um, uh, that we're going to be able to get through this together and that Louisville's restaurant community is uh, going to stay strong. So um, it's, 210 now one of those peak off hours i'm literally going to sign off with you and go eat some late lunch from a restaurant uh, i really appreciate it ryan and uh i'll just say that as a as a friend and a supporter we're thrilled to have uh, you in the neighborhood and in the city and wish you and your employees nothing but luck thank you so much brandon i appreciate you having me on and uh we are resilient we're not only a resilient restaurant community uh, we are a resilient community here in Louisville and within our great Commonwealth of Kentucky, and uh, we're going to get through it. It's going to be great. Okay. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to 8 More Miles, the Louisville Metro Council District 8 podcast. I'm Councilman Brandon Cohn. Please stay in touch with our office. Visit our website at www.tinyurl.com slash cmcone d8 and once you're there please subscribe and stay informed to receive our bi-weekly e-newsletter